And um, I'm just so excited, you know, I knew all week as I've just been delving in the scriptures about this day in history, that God was going to mess me up. And so I'm sorry about my tears. It's not the first for this week. I can tell you that much. And um, I'm just so excited to share with you about Good Friday. Um, You know, I I just believe wholeheartedly God wants to speak afresh as to the sacrifice that Jesus made a couple of thousand years ago. And I want to pose a question right now, just to kick things off. Any of you here ever taken a hit for someone else? Like taking the punishment for someone else? For their, has anyone done that? Like you've gone, yeah, I'll take it to get someone else out of trouble or something like that. You know, you kind of go, yeah, yeah, I'll step in your place. I'm the martyr. And uh, we kind of go through these things. I must admit, as I was thinking about this, I was trying to think of a time where I've taken the hit for someone else. But I know something about myself. I have a very strong justice bone. All right. And, you know, when someone does something wrong and they get, I'm like, you deserve it. Right. Like, you got to take it. Um, I don't know about you. Anyone here, when you're driving on the highway and a car flies past at 130k an hour, you're sitting on the speed limit and everything inside of you is like, I hope a cop gets them. <laughs> is it anyone, just me? Like, there's this moment. Yeah, okay. Annie and Sally are like, I hope a cop gets them. And so I genuinely, I've always been that way. And I know Beck and I, we laugh about it. You know, people flies past the other day, there was this black Commodore that was up the M1, and I'm like, idiot, you know, and you think, I hope a cop gets them, I really do. In fact, I remember a few years ago, I had this sort of situation happen, I was with my mate Tim, I don't know if he's here today, but um, we were actually up at the Bunya Mountains, and um, we were driving down the Bunya Mountains, it's like a 60 zone, a really curvy, windy road, and I was doing the right thing, and instantly, as I'm just driving over here, all of a sudden I just hear this, and these motorbikes just cut in and around us, and they're absolutely carving down this mountain. And everything in me was like, I hope a cop gets them, right? And in about three seconds' time, we keep driving, or maybe a minute, sorry, we just keep driving, and all of a sudden, who is it? All the bikes pulled over, a cop has got them all. And I'm like, you deserve that. Everything in me was like, that's right, I did the right thing, you got the fee. And then about five minutes later, my tyre bursts, and I don't know what that's all about, but... um. And I was on the side of the road changing a tire with my mate Tim. Well, Tim was changing it. I was like, I have no idea. And, um, and then these motorbikes drove past and were like, peace, you know. So anyway, you know, I just, you know, justice, justice, right? People deserve what they get, you know. And I, I just want to talk about today because, you know, if I'm honest with you, I, I find it really hard to stomach when, you know, the guilty get away with it and the innocent are punished or wrongly accused. There's something internally within me as a person. I just find that really hard. I remember a few years ago, I watched this movie. I mean, this is way back now. It's probably about a decade, but I still remember it so clearly. I went to the movies with a friend. I saw a movie called The Green Mile. You know, I've never seen that movie. It's a hectic movie. I'm not recommending it for the Easter weekend, right? <laughs> but I just want to share because I remember watching it. It's about a guy who's innocent and who is falsely accused for murder and rape. And he's on death row, and it's the story of this guy who's, you know, got to go to the electric chair. And as I was watching this movie with my friend, I had no idea what the story was. Internally, I knew he was innocent. All the viewers knew he was innocent. And as the movie unpacks, you think, he's going to get off. There's going to be a moment where the innocent will get off because that's how movies should be. And he doesn't. And I remember walking out of that movie being absolutely torn up. And I've never watched it again. Because of the way that I felt, this traumatic thing. A totally innocent man who had done nothing wrong dies. 
It's an injustice. And Good Friday marks what I believe is the world's greatest injustice ever seen. A man that had done nothing wrong but spoke the truth, murdered because those that were guilty couldn't stand to have their sin exposed. If you don't know the story of Jesus, maybe you got dragged along here today. (laughs) You're like, come on, come to church. There'll be free hot cross buns. I don't know what it was, but you're like, church, great. If you don't know the story of Jesus, you know, he spent three years of his life ministering and he had this phenomenal ministry and he grew this incredible following because everywhere he went, he did good. He was a perfect man. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He raised people from the dead. He opened blind eyes. He cured the leper. The woman with the issue of blood that couldn't go anywhere because of it. when he, she touched him, she, he healed her. And these beautiful moments, three years of this happened. And last week we talked about uh, Palm Sunday when Jesus rides in Jerusalem on a donkey and the people are so overwhelmed by this man, Jesus, they start to declare he is king. And there's an excitement that this man that has power over everything could actually be the one to overthrow the Roman Empire. And we unpacked that last week. But one of the first things that Jesus does when he enters Jerusalem, he actually goes to the temple to clean up the mess that's there. In fact, he goes and reprimands the high priest and the scribes. He actually flips tables and brings about this moment of this, this righteous justice moment, this righteous anger that these people that were supposed to be the religious authority that were supposed to bring people into the presence of God had actually turned the place, the house of prayer, into a den of thieves. It's actually at that moment, those men decide, we can't stand that you've exposed us, we're going to get you killed. And over the next four days, they plot against him. And in the middle of the night after the Passover dinner, that Jesus spends with his disciples. In the middle of the night, while the whole city sleeps, they arrest him in a cowardly act and drag him before all of those in the religious space. They start challenging him. They ask a question. They say, are you God? Are you the Son of God? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Savior? And Jesus responds very simply. He just says, I am. In that moment, it says that the high priest tore his robes out of anger and yelled out, blasphemy. They then start to beat Jesus. Beat him. They put a blindfold on him and kick him. It says even the scribes and the servants slapped him. This went on throughout the night. They then drag him before Pontius Pilate, the Roman rule of the time. Because they're so angry that this man has claimed that he's God. When he comes before Pilate, this is what happens. Because as I was thinking about Good Friday, I'm like, how do I summarize what's going on? How do I actually sum this up? What I was going to say before when it came to that situation when, you know, these... Bikes got pulled over by the cops. So as I was saying, imagine if I had actually pulled up with them and went up and said, hey, I know that they sped, but I want to take the fine. Like I'm actually going to take the hit for them. They did everything wrong, but I'm going to take the fine. That's effectively what Jesus did for us. 
But I don't think any of us would ever say we could ever do that because we have this justice bone that says, if you did the wrong thing, you deserve the time. You, you know, do the crime, deserve the time, get the punishment that you deserve. And so all of a sudden now Jesus is brought before Pilate and he's being accused of a whole bunch of things. And I want to pick up this story. I want to read this as it unfolds. Because Pilate's confused about this man, Jesus. He's heard a lot about him in the last week because the city's stirred up a lot of stuff going on. That He's the king of the Jews. And now here we are in Mark 15, 1 to 30. I just want to read it. I believe reading this story of Easter is so powerful. I want to challenge you to go home and read it with your family. Read it by yourself. Do not let this weekend go past without you reading it by yourself. Allow the scriptures to speak to your heart and your soul. I remember when I read this years and years ago, I was about 20 years of age. I'd had a rubbish day. I'd actually done a whole bunch of stuff I shouldn't have done. I sat down at Alexander Hills, uh, Alexander, sorry, Headlands up the sunny coast. And I just felt rubbish. And I opened to this scripture and I read it. The power of these words changed my life forever. In fact, it was on that moment, on that day, as I was reading the story of what Jesus did for me, I felt, I heard God's voice for the very first time. And God simply said this to me, Aaron, I love you. You're like, who the heck's Aaron? Isn't your name Az? (laughs) Yeah, everyone calls me Az. In fact, that's how I knew it was God speaking. Because it was like, Aaron, I love you. He knew me. He knew my name. And it changed me. And I hope today as I read these scriptures, it changes your life as well. I hope you have an understanding of the love of Jesus today. It says this, Jesus faces Pilate. As soon as it was morning, having held a meeting with the elders, scribes, and the whole Sanhedrin, the chief priest tied Jesus up, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. He's already been beaten at this stage. So Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? (laughs) He answered him, you say so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. Pilate questioned him again, Are you going to answer? Look how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus did not answer. And so, and so Pilate was amazed. At the festival, Pilate used to release for the people a prisoner whom they requested. There was one named Barabbas who was in prison with rebels who had committed murder during the rebellion. The crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do for them as was his custom. Pilate answered them, do you want me to release the king of the Jews for you? Can you just see his sarcasm? You know, the Roman Empire. This is your king. You've just beaten him up four days ago. You're loving him. Do you want to release the king of the Jews for you? How about that? For he knew it was because of envy that the chief priests had handed him over. They were envious of Jesus and his following. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd so that he would release Barabbas to them instead. Pilate asked them again, then what do you want me to do with the one you call the king of the Jews? Again, they shouted, crucify him. I want you to feel this moment. Totally innocent man who's done no wrong. The crowd may have even been made up of the people whose lives have been impacted beforehand. Maybe the mother of the son who was raised from the dead was there. Maybe in that crowd were people who were hungry and then all of a sudden he multiplied the food when he prayed for it. Maybe they were there when the lepers were healed. or They'd seen three years of this and now they're in the crowd and they're screaming out, crucify him. 
Pilate said to them, why? What has he done wrong? He couldn't figure it out. He knew he was innocent. But they shouted all the more, crucify him. It says, wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. And after having Jesus flogged, he handed him over to be crucified. What a moment. Innocent man. And the people choose a man that's known for murder. Can you imagine if there was a jail here in the Redlands and there was a known murderer and there was an innocent man? An innocent man can be set free or the murderer gets to go back into the community. They ask for the murderer. This is what's going on. It says this, he was mocked by the military. The soldiers led him away into the place that is the governor's residence and called the whole company together. They dressed him in a purple robe twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews! They were hitting him on the head with a stick and spitting on him. Getting down on their knees, they were paying him homage. And after they mocked him, they stripped him of the purple robe and put his clothes on him. They brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Then they crucified him and divided his clothes, casting lots for them to decide what each would get. Now it was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge written against him was, The King of the Jews. You see, the place where they crucified him, Beck and I went to Israel only two years ago. We went to Jerusalem. We went to the place of where he was crucified. It was the rubbish dump. It was the place where the Romans went to throw out their trash. And they would crucify the guilty on the side of the roads at the entry point of the gates. To show anyone, if you mess with the Romans, this is what will happen to you. This was not some kind of romanticized Easter picture. This was a place of hell. says they had the king of the Jews above his head. It was actually the crime that he committed because if other people were crucified, they would have murderer, rapist, pedophile, thief. And he had king of the Jews. They crucified two criminals with him, one on the right and one on his left. Those who passed by were yelling insults at him and shaking their heads and saying, Ha! The one who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself by coming down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests with the scribes were mocking him amongst themselves and saying, He saved others, but he can't save himself. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him taunted him. Picture that. Beautifully innocent man getting mocked by those that deserve their death punishment. When it was noon, 
Darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama zabachni, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? When some of those standing heard this, they said, he's calling out for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, fixed it to a stick, offered him a drink and said, let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. Jesus let out a loud cry and breathed his last. Then the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion who was standing opposite him saw the way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. He's dead. An innocent man, dead. In that moment, it appeared that all hope was indeed lost. Absolute devastation for his followers and his disciples. In fact, at this point, they've gone into hiding. They've been scattered. They're terrified for their own lives. Peter at this stage, the one who said, I will never leave you, has denied him three times by this stage. The whole world has gone dark. But this is no surprise to Jesus or God. The story wasn't over. You see, for us, we know the story of Easter. We know how it ends out. We know what happens on Easter Sunday. But they didn't. Jesus did. And only 12 hours earlier, he was trying to tell his disciples what was about to happen. He'd been trying to tell them it's amazing the amount of times Jesus speaks to his disciples and says, I have to go. I have to die. I have to lay my life down. He even says to Peter at one stage, by the way, in three days, I will be resurrected. But they miss the detail because they don't want him to leave. If your friend was perfect in every way, you wouldn't want them to leave either. The best person you've ever met who's done no wrong. Think of the greatest person you know and the way that they live their life. Times that by 10,000. Times it by a million. Times it by whatever number you can. You still will not arrive at Jesus. But Jesus knew what was going on. And this is why at the final Passover, just 12 hours prior to this moment, he's sitting down, he's reclining with his disciples and he picks up a piece of bread and he breaks it and he says this, take it and eat it. This is my body. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Jesus is actually telling his disciples in this moment that he was going to die. And through his broken body and bloodshed, it would give forgiveness once and for all. Their way to be reconciled to God, their way to be able to come to God. Because of the sin that had separated them, there would be no more of this needing a sacrifice. You see, these disciples understood the weight of sacrifice. They'd come back to Jerusalem for the Passover week, the festival week. And if you don't know why, well, people, the Jewish people would come back, they would bring a sacrifice on behalf of their family or individually at the temple so that they would be right with God. 
Blood had to be shed, an innocent animal that had done no wrong, a pure animal would be sacrificed for them and it would give them forgiveness for a short period of time. You've got to understand for the previous week, these disciples had seen a lot of sacrifice. I was reading this week um, just a whole bunch of Jewish history because I wanted to understand the gravity of what it looked like for the Passover week. Did you know at the temple, historians say that up to 1.2 million animals could be sacrificed in one day? It's a whole lot of blood. In fact, there's history documents that state that the priests could be wading knee-deep in the blood. The blood was a reminder to the people in the city through that week, the weight of their sin. There has to be blood shed for your forgiveness. What Jesus was saying is he's saying, this is the final time a sacrifice needs to be made. (laughs) In essence, he was saying the high priest, their job to sacrifice an animal. You see, at that point, the high priest was the only one that could go into the Holy of Holies in the temple. You notice that it said right on his last breath that the curtain was torn from top to bottom. That was the moment. That is a Critical moment. That, that curtain that was in the temple was 10 centimeters thick. You could not tear it. And in a moment where Jesus died, it got torn from top to bottom. Why? Because all of a sudden, access to God didn't have to go through a high priest anymore. Because Jesus had replaced himself as the high priest. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm making their job redundant. No wonder they were mad. It's a powerful moment. It's a powerful moment. You know, in this moment when it comes to Easter, I think Paul summarizes what Jesus did on the cross the best in Romans. Romans 5, 6 to 10, he says this, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person. Though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more... Having, reconciled, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? The truth is, each and every one of us deserve the punishment of the cross. It's our fine. Our sin puts us up there. It's our debt. But Jesus took the punishment in our place. It's like him pulling over for the person that's speeding and said, write it out in my name. It's what he did. I'm going to ask you a question. Could you do it? Die for the guilty? Could you lay your life down for someone who deserved the death penalty? I want you to think of the most evil person you've ever heard of. 
maybe a mass murderer, maybe someone who has done some seriously traumatic stuff in a high, highly secure prison that someone has got the death penalty or a life sentence. Could you exchange your life for them to show them you love them? I know for myself, I couldn't. Thank God he doesn't ask us to because he did it for us. That's what he did. In a moment, we're going to receive communion, the bread and the cup. The the blood and the body that is broken is blood that is poured out for us so that we can be forgiven. The beautiful thing is on that cross, he took all the sin and shame and the guilt and the stuff that's in your life that you feel broken. He took it on the cross. You know, a few weeks ago, Josiah was talking about how Jesus chose the cross. He, he could have actually at any stage in the whipping and the spitting, in the point of crucifixion, he could have just gone, I'm done. I thought about it, it hurts too much. We saw a few weeks away, back when Josiah was talking about the times they tried to kill Jesus multiple times, he just walks past them walks through them. He has the power to do whatever he wants. He has the power over the wind and the waves. He can calm a donkey that's never been ridden on. I mean, this guy has all power. Because imagine the first beating that he got from the high priest and the scribes. He could have laid there and gone, I'm done, game on. But he doesn't. Why? Because of you. Because of the love he has for you. Because each time the whip was raised, before it hit his back, he thought of you. It was either him who took it, or you that would have to take it. And he chose to take it for you. As we take communion, if you've never received the love of Jesus before, you've never understood what Jesus did on Good Friday. You don't even know Jesus personally. Maybe you got dragged along today. In a moment, we're going to have some people stand up here. They're going to hand out the bread and they will say, this is Jesus' body broken for you. This is his blood poured out for you. I want to encourage you. If you want to start your journey with Jesus, accept his love. Come and receive communion as the first point of call. I've been told I didn't tell last time, and I'm sorry, in the eight, if you want gluten-free Jesus, he's over here. (laughs) See, that's why I didn't say it. Such a serious moment. (laughs) Gluten-free Jesus over here. I believe it still has the same power. As we receive communion, we're going to have an item... But I want you to know this too. It wasn't just Jesus. I mean, Jesus fulfilled so many prophecies. I mean, you've got to come to a conclusion of who Jesus was. But in this moment, he fulfilled a beautiful scripture, a beautiful bit of writing from the prophet Isaiah that had been written hundreds of years prior. And he fulfills this moment on the cross. It says this, Isaiah 53, 5 to 6. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities, Punishment for our peace was on him. And we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished him, being Jesus, 
for the, iniqui- the iniquity of all of us, or us all. Church, Jesus loves you. He really does. And when you have a revelation of his love, it'll change your life. I want to encourage you as you come and receive communion today, maybe to do it individually. Often we do things as a family and we do things as a community, but I want you to know that this is individually. The love of Jesus is individually, uniquely for you. If you were the only person on the face of the planet hanging out with the Romans, he still would have died for you. The crazy thing is those that crucified him, he died for those that put the nails through his hands. That's how much love he had. So as we listen to these words of this song, let's take this time to reflect on what Jesus did for us. For those who are going to hand out the uh, communion, you can come forward. In your own time, come and receive the body and the blood of Christ. Let's just bow our heads for a moment as they come. God, I just thank you for Good Friday. I thank you for what you did on the cross. God, we know that the story is not over. But Jesus, we reminded and we reflect on what you did for us. Even while we were still sinners, you did it for us. In Jesus' name, amen.
Would you take the nails from his hands? Oh. And we just don't know And in it all he shows Just how much he cares Just how much he cares And the veil was torn So we can have this open door And all these things have finally been complete Would you take the place of this man? Would you take the nails from his hands? Would you take the place of this man? Would you take the nails from his hands? Oh. Would you take the place from this man? Oh. Would you take the nails of his hands? Would you take the place from this man? Would you take the nails from his hands? Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. We believe this message will inspire you into greater intimacy with Jesus, relationship with others, and influence in your world. If you would like to know more about us, you can visit us online at www.elevationchurch.com.au or alternatively, pop into our Redlands location.